Samuel 10, we're continuing our series, Following the Shepherd. We've been looking at the life of David each and every week, and we are at this stage in David's life where his kingdom has come into its fullness. Um, This is the peak. In fact, if you were to look at David's life as a series of mountaintop and valley experiences, right now he is at the pinnacle. It doesn't get any higher than it is. In fact, tragically, uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to see him go and enter another low point in his life. But that is for the future. Right now, at the moment, King David is about to face an enemy. And that's the theme of the message today, facing the enemy. So as we do each week, we'll look at David's life, we'll look at what happened in those circumstances, and we will see that there are spiritual truths that relate to us in the day and age in which we live. And so that's the goal this morning, to look at David, to look at ourselves, and then ultimately to look to Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed. Are you ready? All right. Chapter number 10 and verse number 1. It came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died. Now, you've got to know who the characters are this morning, and we've got the kids with us today, which we don't usually have. We've changed up our schedule, so we want to... It's okay if I go a little bit like it's junior church too today, right? You guys okay with that? So we'll do that. So we got to make sure everybody's engaged. So this kingdom that is going to end up... It's not right now, but it's going to end up being the enemy of David. It's the kingdom of... Ammon. Can you say that with me? The kingdom of? You guys are great. The kingdom of Ammon. Now, the king of Ammon died. And, boy, how are we going to decide to say this one this morning? We all could try it. We're going to go with Hanun, because that just sounds cooler than Hanun to me. So we'll go with Hanun. Who are we talking about? Now, he's not a good guy. You've got to understand that. Hanun is, he's, he's bad news. And we'll see what happens. Hanun, his son, reigned in his stead. Then said David. Now, David's a nice guy. God has blessed him. Last week, we saw his kindness to Mephibosheth. You remember that? He's just on a kindness kick right now. You ever been there? I mean, just showing kindness over here, being a blessing over here. He's on the kindness kick this morning. And he says, hey, it's really sad that the king of Ammon died. And now, I want to cheer up his son, his son, All right, you're with me. I want to cheer up his son, Hanun. So it says here, David says, I will show kindness unto Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. All right, so you've got to understand the background. There is peace. At this moment in time, there is peace between Ammon and Israel. And this has gone since the time of Saul. It's one of the very few nations around. Unlike the Philistines, the Ammonites at this point, now in the past they've been arch enemies, but right now they're at peace. And David thinks, let me show kindness to my new friend Hanun. Well, strange thing is about to happen. Just get ready. What you're about to read, you probably would never have expected to read about in church. What's going to happen next? We've read some interesting stories. We've read some exciting stories in the life of David. And we've read some strange ones. We're about to get to one of those. Here's what happens. David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. Now these guys, I mean, they are the royal 
the royal servants of the king, and they're bringing a message. They probably, I mean, what would they have had with them? They would have had presents with them. They would have had a royal decree. I mean, they've got this amazing entourage to just say, we love you, Hanun. Our king wants to send you a great message. Look what it says. It says in verse 3, the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanun their lord. All right, so now we got a whole other group of people. You following the story? David and his David and his in his throne sends his servants to Ammon. His servants get there and they greet King Hanun and they say, "Hey, we've got a message from David." But in the meantime, there's this other group of people. And these guys are the advisors. They are the princes. They are the self-important talking heads of the day. In fact, if they had Fox News and CNN and MSNBC, these would be the guys that showed up every night to tell you exactly what's going on and exactly what the solution to the problem is. And they understand everything, of course. And so the advisors come to King Hanun, and look what they say in verse number 3. Do you think, Hanun, do you really think that these guys want to show you honor? Do you really think that, and Hanun, he's just, well, I don't know. What do you mean? You know, he's just a politician. He's just, you know, dad's dead. I'm the king now. What do you mean? They say, oh, there's something way more sinister going on here. There's something way more diabolical at play. These were the conspiracy theorists of the day. And they said, this is what's really happening. Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Now Hanun freaks out because he's like, presents, I like presents. And they say, no, not presents, spies. These are spies. And these spies have come to, to see what your country's like so David can then bring his army in and take everybody over and destroy us. Well, now Hanun, he overreacts. He freaks out. He listens to bad advice. He listens to bad counselors. Have you ever listened to bad advice in your life? All right. Well, Hanun is about to make a dreadful mistake. He listens to the wrong advice. Someone is just trying to show him kindness, and he's of the opinion that this is far, far more diabolical. So look what he does. He insults. He completely disrespects. You know, if you're following along in your notes this morning, I'm, on, I'm actually on the inside. I'm, I'm kind of passing over some points I was going to make, but it isn't it interesting that sometimes wicked people interpret good things as evil? Isn't that interesting? I was reminded of, and I've got this reference for you in your handout and on the screen, Titus 1.15. It reminded me of the scripture, unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. It's kind of like when somebody has a problem with lying, they think that everybody is, is a liar. This is this group of people. Listen, what we're doing this morning, and I'm telling the story, we're getting caught up in the story, but you're going to see there are spiritual applications. And the overarching point I want to give to you this morning is this. In this chapter, King David is seeking peace, but he encounters fierce opposition. 
in many ways that mirrors the spiritual conflict that believers are called into. That we are called as God's ambassadors of peace. Are we not? We've been given, the Apostle Paul says, the ministry of reconciliation. As Christians, we are to go into this world, Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers. But at the same time, sometimes the good intentions of God and the good intentions of God's people are interpreted by the world as being evil. A generation that calls good evil and evil good. Well, this has been the common theme of spiritual warfare from the beginning of the ages until now. And David's servants are coming face to face with a group of people who, and they're just coming to bring peace but they are responded to with hostility. I remember my first encounter of trying to bring peace and encountering, well, it might not have been my first, but one of my first. I was about 12 years old. Anybody 12 years old in here? One, two, a couple 12-year-olds in here? 11, 12, I was about that age, and we had just started our bus ministry. We just started the bus ministry of the church. And me and my friends, we were young teens, and we got to be a part of the bus ministry. And so, you know, in the bus ministry, you're going out into the neighborhoods and you're leaving flyers door to door, right? My goodness, you're trying to get little kids to ride a church bus, to come to church, to hear the gospel, to, to give them a little breakfast, to make a difference in their lives. And I'll never remember me, 12 years old, and my buddy, same age as me, Ryan, we went into this neighborhood. And, you know, everybody's so nice. You got two when I was 12, I looked like I was 7 or 8. You know, that was me at 12 years old. And so I'm in this neighborhood, and we've got the bus flyers, and this big, burly dude, I mean, like, he, he comes, flings the door open. We are, by the way, we are not at his house. We simply left a flyer at his house. We're walking down the street, just a couple of kids, and he comes out, yells, he yells from his balcony. Big, tough guy, you know, at these little 12-year-old boys. He yells, what are you doing here? What are you doing at my house? You're wasting your time. I'm just like, whoa, whoa. Now, normally that wasn't the encounter we received. But you know what? That's just a little example of if you're going to live for God, if, you're gonna, if the gospel is changing your life, if the gospel is transforming you, you're going to speak to friends and neighbors, even sometimes family members, and sometimes your gospel of peace is going to be met with hostility. It can happen. Well, that's what's happening in this Old Testament passage. The messengers of peace are met with hostility. I told you it was going to get kind of weird. Here it comes. Here it comes. It says that King Hanun now, he can't have this. Wherefore, Hanun took David's servants. I'm in verse number four and shaved off the one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle, even to... Can I say this in church? Oh, it's in the Bible, that's right. It's funny. Some, it does, it does, it's older translations, newer translations, they, they, they have trouble with this one. Sometimes, it's, some translations say the hip, you know? But even a lot of the modern translations, they'll say it how it is. They'll put it out there and they'll say, King Hanun cut off half their beards and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks. <laughs> I told you we're doing junior church today. How many of you expected to hear that one in church this morning, huh? Okay. 
and sent them away. Wow, that would have been quite the trip home, I'll tell you that. Verse number five, when they told it unto David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed, you think? The men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. Epic, you know, battle speech to the men. Oh, so we'll get all of our chuckles out of the way about that, all right? But the fact is, King Hanun has utterly disgraced these servants of the king. Utterly disgraced and humiliated these men. The, the fact of, obviously, we understand the embarrassment of the nakedness and, and what he does to them. But even in this culture, the idea of the beard. Now, some of us this morning have clean-shaven faces. We would be an embarrassment in the land of Israel. A total embarrassment. But never mind to have half of your beard cut off. That was as if your manliness had been completely taken away from you. And so what he does is utterly, utterly contemptible and humiliating. The, I just, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but I just thought of, we talk about humiliation, I just immediately thought of our Lord and how he was humiliated. And I thought of the, I thought of the fact that the enemies of God, the enemies of righteousness, and I'm not talking about human beings. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. It's a spiritual battle. But the enemies of the one true God, the servants of the devil, they would like nothing more than to humiliate our Lord and to humiliate his servants. And that is exactly what's been done to the, to the servants of King David. They've been utterly humiliated. Well, now this means war. This means war. You do not humiliate the servants of the king and not expect the full wrath and vengeance of glorious King David to come reigning and crashing down on you. And so we read David's response was in verse number 6 where he, he, it says in verse number 6, when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, that they were now hated, they were disgusting. Every time you said the word Ammon or Hanun, David was filled with rage, filled with anger that you would do this to my people that you would respond with my, to my message of peace and love, that you would respond with humili humiliation and disdain. And King David is fit to be tied. And it says that what happens now, everybody prepares for war. The battle lines are drawn. And in verse number 6, when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maaka, a thousand men, and of Ishtab, 12,000 men. And what has happened after this humiliation, there is an evil alliance that has been put together against David, against Israel. The, the evil one has, has assembled his wicked armies together. He's hired foreign mercenaries. You find 33,000 trained mercenaries from Syria have been brought to fight against God's people. I thought of Psalm 2-2 where David writes, and 
may be facing this situation. I don't know the exact timing of this psalm, but David wrote, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That all of the forces, and listen, a friend, a, a, one of the men in the church reminded us the other night that when we talk about Afghanistan, when you talk about any evil that's going on in the world, you have to realize that this is not about human beings in conflict. This goes far deeper. That all of the, all of the universe is engaged in a cosmic battle for the souls of men and women. In all these conflicts we see, in these political things that rise up, there's a much deeper rooted battle that's going on. And just like in this day and age, these physical real armies have all come together to fight against God's people and to come up against the anointed one. Don't be fooled that there are spiritual forces in the world today that will use all things at their disposal to come up against the people of God, and to come up against the anointed one, our Lord Jesus Christ. But we know how it's going to turn out. We know where it's going. Well, let's see what happens. I love the second movement in the story. We've seen the situation with David and the Ammonites. Now we see David's warriors. The king's warriors face the enemy. I love a good battle movie or book or scene, and the Bible is full of them. It says here that these men are now preparing to go to battle. Verse number seven, when David heard of it, you say, what did David hear of? He heard of the 33,000 Syrians joined with the children of Ammon. When David hears of it, he responds and he says in verse seven, he sent Joab. That would be his chief general, Joab. Now, we've seen Joab in the past. We see Joab today, we're going to see him in the future. Sometimes we like what we read about Joab, sometimes it's not so good. But today, Joab is a hero in the story. Today, Joab doesn't fight for himself like he often does, but today, Joab serves the king. And would to God that there were some men who would rise up in this generation, and I do mean men as in the male gender, if there were some men who would rise up and fight for the king. Well, more about that as we go through what Joab and his brother Abishai do. It says here, he sent, David sends his trusted general Joab and all the host of the mighty men. You remember we looked at the passage about the mighty men back on Father's Day? All those mighty men now are preparing to stand up for the king, to stand up for the people, to stand up for truth, to stand up for the promise, to stand up for the covenant that God had made with his people. They would stand and be counted. And it says in verse number 8 that the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and Ishtab and Maacah were by themselves in the field. Now look at verse 9. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him, before and behind. What does he all of a sudden realize? Almost, not quite, but he is almost what? He's almost surrounded. He enters the field, and the mighty men, and the sound of the clinging of of the the metal, and the sound of the shields, and the bows, the archers are getting ready, and the animals of the cavalry are preparing, and all this noise, and Joab looks around, and he assesses the battlefield, and he looks behind him, and he sees the enemy. And he looks in front of him, and he sees the enemy. And so he comes up with a plan, and he turns to his little brother. And I just love the picture here 
of brothers in the battle. Two brothers in the battle. He turns to his brother. It says that, you say, where do you see that? Well, read on with me. Verse 9, he saw the battle was against him before and behind. He chose all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered in the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. Verse number 11. And he said, in the midst of the battle, ready to, 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 to deploy the troops, he turns to Abishai and he says, Brother, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and what? I'll help you. Verse 12, I see him grab him by the arms, their eyes lock, helmet to helmet. Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Whoa. <laughs> I just read that just like, man, that's intense. They didn't know what the outcome would be, but they knew whose side they were on. They didn't know what the outcome would be, but they knew who they were fighting for. They didn't know what the outcome would be, but they knew that they would stand and fall together, united. And these are brothers united against the enemy, united for the people, united for the Lord. Did you see what it says? He says, in the area that I'm weak, brother, you come and give me strength. And in the area you're weak, brother, I will come and give you strength. Are you tracking with me this morning? You understand what I'm talking about? Brother, where I'm weak, give me your strength. And where you are weak, I will give you my strength. Just a little aside note. Why do we start? You're like, how is this? this? You're giving a little commercial. I'm about to give a little commercial for our life groups, all right? But it's not really a commercial. It ties in. Why are we doing this? Because, brother, strengthen me where I'm weak. And brother, I'll strengthen you where you're weak. Why do we gather as often as we do as a church? Why do we make an investment of time? Because we understand that we are engaged of a, in a battle. And listen, there are folks in this room right now because you were prayed for. And you've gone through weaknesses and I've gone through weaknesses, but a brother strengthened you in the battle or a sister strengthened your hand in the battle. United against the enemy. We don't need silly things to divide us. You agree with me? You know, Joab, when he grabs a hold of his brother, and Abishai and Joab are looking right at each other. Well, Joab, I don't like the color of your shield that you brought to the battle today. Just not feeling it. I don't, you know, I don't really, I don't really think you've got the right shoes on today. Those aren't things that they worry about. It's not like, well, how come your men get to sound the trumpet and my favorite guy doesn't get to sound the trumpet? Are you still with me? We don't have to spell it all out, do we? The point is, when you're engaged in a battle, petty differences don't matter because you are united for the cause of Christ. You're united for the cause of the king. Well, they go to battle. Reminded, you say, well, this is all, you know, it's real Old Testament. You know, that's what they did. They fought, they battled, you know, they had swords. 
I understand it's different, but spiritually it's really not so different. Our New Testament is filled with battle terminology. And it's not a battle in like, and, and this is something that we have to be careful how we explain it. We're not Christian nationalists. We don't believe in storming the Capitol with the Christian flag for the cause of Christ. We don't believe in any of that. We believe, as the Gettys wrote in that wonderful song about, O Church Arise, that with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. That we have a sword that, that brings healing to the nations. And the battle we're engaged in is not for our nation, although I believe as citizens we should, be, we should care what goes on in our nation. But our battle is not for our nation. Our battle is not for our culture. Our battle is for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, I gave you this verse. The Apostle Paul says to a struggling Corinthian church, watch ye, battle terminology. He said, watch ye means be on guard, be vigilant, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. That's an, it's a, I think that's a really cool old, older English kind of, it. quit you like men. Just brings to me, it conjures up thoughts of, you know, the Lord of the Rings or something epic like that. Quit you like men. It means act like men. Have Christian masculinity. Stand for something. And then he says, be what? But you, you can't say the word. You can't be like, be strong. No, no, no. Be what? Be what? Strong. Be strong. Be strong. This is not a generation that needs weak Christians. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Strength. Speaking specifically, and, I'm, and, and some of this I'm gearing toward men because men, God does call us to lead in the battle. God does call us to lead a church, to lead our home, to lead a generation. And we need that. It doesn't diminish the role of the of godly women and the part that they play in the battle, but there are specific instructions to men. In one of his books, John Eldridge writes this, speaking of this concept, a man, a man must have a battle to fight. A great mission to his life that involves and yet transcends even home and family. He must have a cause to which he is devoted even unto death, for this is written into the fabric of his being. That is why God created you to be his intimate ally, to join him in the great battle. You know why I think so often young men walk away from the church, and we've got an awesome group of young men in our church, but for so, so many young men walk away from the church because all we have made church about is assembling at an event, singing some songs, and hearing a little study. No, we are to, we are to assemble as the church to be equipped to go into the battle. Give us a purpose, a calling, a holy calling. We saw the pictures this week. In Af from Afghanistan. We saw images of brave soldiers guarding the perimeter and guarding the gate. And we saw pictures of throngs and throngs of people trying to get out. Get out. Get out. Flee while we have time. People trying to get out. And we see our brave soldiers standing and, and helping where they can. 
We ought to pray for them. But we're thinking of all of the people trying to get out. Do you know what Christian courage looks like? It looks like a testimony I read about this week from a pastor friend who posted this on the internet. He said there's a man in his church, and he gave him a pseudonym. His name is Azim. And something like 10 years ago, Azim was an, Im- Azim was an immigrant from Afghanistan who came to the United States. And Azim encountered Christ trusted him as his savior, was baptized, and has grown in his faith over this last decade. And Azim went to his pastor and said, Pastor, God is speaking to me. I'm talking this week. I'm not saying months ago. This week, Azim says, God is speaking to me. My parents, my family, they don't know Christ. My people don't know Christ. I need to go back and spread the good message of God. Wow. Wow. There's a real man living in America. What every person storming the gates is trying to achieve, he has achieved it. And do you know what he says? He says, let me back in. Let me go back. And he stands on the shoulders of Christian giants from generations past. From generations past who didn't run away from the conflict, who boldly ran into the conflict. And friends, Jesus is just asking us to tell our coworkers about him. He's just asking us to tell your neighbors about Jesus. He didn't call me to go back into Afghanistan. He hasn't called you. But listen, we shouldn't just, it doesn't do us any good just to make a human comparison. Believe it or not, it's this, we need the same Holy Spirit that Azim needs. Because listen, I remember my first semester, or when I went to visit the college that I attended, the pastor preached a message. He says, I have no doubt that all of the young people in this room, if you're a believer, there's 5,000 kids in the room. He said, if you're a believer, he says, I have no doubt that you would give your life for Christ. That if someone put a gun to your head and said, do you believe in Jesus? I have no doubt that you would die for him. But will you live for him? But will you live for him? Azim is prepared to live and die. Azim is a Joab. Azim is an Abishai. Azim says, King, where do I go? What do I do? I'm I'm all for enjoying the blessings of our prosperity. We should. I'm looking forward to football season starting in just a couple weeks. Any football fans out there, I'm excited to have it come. Bring it on. But you know what? None of that matters. It doesn't matter. The, the, if the Yankees, sorry, if the Yankees make it to the playoffs, I'll be excited and you'll boo me. But it doesn't matter. And you say, so what's your point? I'm just asking us in all of our, listen, my career, my property, my possessions, that's not the battle I've been called into. We're in a conflict for souls. And it's a conflict that calls for courage. 2 Samuel 10. So they do this plan. Verse 11, they, they, they say, if they're too strong, I'll strengthen you. You'll strengthen me. We'll strengthen each other. Who are you strengthening? Who are you, who, whose arms are you lifting up? What weak brother have you come alongside of? And what weak sister have you come alongside of? Strengthen. That's what they did for each other. And verse number 12, be of good courage. 
Let us play the men for our people, for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth unto him good. What God's will, it's up to God. If he wants us to die for him, we'll die for him. If he wants us to live for him, we'll live for him. Verse 13, and Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him, unto the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. I mean, they ran. They packed up those chariots. They loaded those mules, camels, whatever they had brought into the, into the battle that day. They loaded them up, and I don't know what it was, but because it wasn't the army of David, it was the Lord who commands angel armies that went up against these people. It's just like I remember the story of Elisha, and Elisha's with his servant. I forget the name. starts with a G. I can't remember the servant's name. Gehazi. Gehazi says, oh, we're surrounded. We're going to die. And Elisha looks out and he says, Lord, open his eyes. And in that particular scene, Gehazi's spiritual eyes are opened and he sees an army of angels surrounding, surrounding. You ought to pray. Listen, those same angels are, the Bible says they are ministering spirits. We ought to pray for angelic and for, for the angelic host to surround our persecuted brothers and sisters. If God could confound, listen, if God could confound and blind armies in the ancient times, if God could cause armies to go in conflict against each other, God can do the same thing today. We ought to pray for it. We pray fervently and specifically that the God who showed himself strong, if it be his will, would show himself strong. Well, they run, they hide. And then I love what happens next. Because who we haven't seen yet in the battle is who? You're like, who? David. We haven't seen him in the battle yet. His servants are fighting. His servants are are engaged in this conflict. But at the very end, when the final blow needs to be struck, guess who rides in? Guess who comes on a white horse, if you'll give me that liberty? Who rides in but King David? King David comes in, and in verse number 15, the, verse 15, the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel. They gathered themselves together, and Hadarezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river. They came to Helam, and Shobach, the captain of the hosts of Hadarezer, went before them. And when it was told David, David, they're reassembling, they're retreating, they're, the, the, but the army is still there. When David hears, when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobach, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made what? Peace. They made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. They said, we'll think twice about our future alliances. Why? Just what an awesome picture. The armies of David engaged in the battle. And at the very end, the king comes in and he deals the final blow. He secures complete victory. I've got some scriptures here that I'm reminded of. God has always done this. David, of course, we know we've studied this in previous weeks, that David throughout the Old Testament is pointing us to a greater king. That David is a type, he's a real person, but he's a type of the king who is to come, Jesus 
And this has been the Lord throughout all generations. It says in Isaiah 42, verse 13, The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. The first time Jesus came, he came in a lowly manger. The second time he comes, he comes on a white horse. And he comes clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. And there'll be a name written on him that is King of kings and Lord of lords. The King is coming. The King is coming. He is coming. I have Exodus 15. We'll skip that one for sake of time. But Christian, this morning, be encouraged that you are you are a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ engaged in a battle this morning. There is real opposition that you and I will encounter. It may be opposition that, that is at the level of intensity as our brothers across the world are facing right now, or it may be in our own cultural context where we face this, op this opposition, but rejoice, look up, because your king is coming. There's so many, there's a lot of Christians that they want to talk about the Antichrist and the end of the world and all of that. That's all going to happen. I understand it. But we don't look to the enemy. We look to the Savior. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And King David saved his men from a temporary battle, but King G Jesus gives us eternal and permanent victory. By the way, if you're not a Christian this morning, or if you're like, well, I thought I was a Christian, but this is like a different level of intensity than I'm accustomed to. This is Bible Christianity. Jesus has not called us to... We are, we are following the Son of God. My life is not my own, but it belongs to Him. And He invites you into that relationship with him. Well, there's a few things I want to give you right here at the end. If you'll notice, I put this on the back of your handout. Just some final thoughts, some lessons. Some lessons for you and I for the spiritual conflict that we face. First of all, opposition is expected. Opposition is expected. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, Jesus shares with his disciples, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great statement? You say, well, Jesus said it, so you better say Yeah, but it is. It's just really great. Wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Opposition is expected. Don't be surprised if, if everyone around you isn't excited about your walk with God. That's okay. It's okay. It doesn't change the mission. It doesn't change the good news. In fact, I could have put this as one of the points. I should have put this as one of the points here that often opponents will be won over. We think about this whole idea of people going house to house looking for Christians. What a tragedy. But do you know there is someone that we know about from the Scripture who went house to house looking for Christians? It's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul literally secured the death of believers. You see, because the agents of the enemy are just tools. 
They're tools. They're not. We are to love our enemies. Pray for them that, that persecute. Opposition is expected. Opponents will be won. I love this. Strength is supplied. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 22, in the same, same conversation, He says, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end, what? Shall be saved. Now, this verse is often misinterpreted. If you put it in the context of Scripture, I think the point is this. The people of God are the ones who will endure because we are kept not by our own strength, but we are kept by the power of God. Jesus says, my Father gives them to me, and there's not a single person that will pluck them out of my hand. We are kept by his power. We are kept by his strength. And listen, just because, I know sometimes we make this comparison, well, if Christians over there are suffering so much, how can I you know, complain about what I'm going through? I think that's a fair conversation on one, in, on one consideration, but on the other, it doesn't necessarily help us because the opposition we face does affect us. It's much smaller in scale, but it does affect us. The best response is this. If God can give strength to the Afghan believers, God can give strength to me. His strength can be with me. It's not about me and my ability to pull myself up and just knock, whip myself into shape. It's about me relying on his grace, relying on his endurance. And there's no need to fear. Let's finish with Matthew 10, 28. I'd ask you just to give your full attention to this closing passage. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body. Now, if I were going to be afraid of somebody, those would be the people I would be afraid of, right? Like, somebody yells at me, I'm not really afraid. Somebody points a gun at me, I'm very afraid. But Jesus, so I would be saying the complete opposite. Yeah, I'm afraid of people. Jesus puts it all in scale, and he says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Then he talks about the sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? One of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Interesting here that some will fall. Not in sin, obviously, but fall in death. But who is with them at that moment? God. One will not fall on the ground without your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. That verse right there is not about how bold you are in your witness. Some people have looked at it that way. That's not what it's about. It's a verse given to encourage people who confess the name of Jesus. It's a verse given to encourage believers who confess the name of Jesus when they come up against a world that will not confess his name. And as these believers say, we, boys, are you with me guys in the front row? You've been really good, so let's stay till the end. As believers, we are those who confess the name of Jesus. 
Whatever opposition we face, whatever we come up against, Jesus says, don't worry. You're going to confess me before men and they're going to hate you and persecute you for it. But no, when your name, when you confess my name before the enemy, I confess your name in heaven. God says, Azim is my servant. Can you imagine the scene in heaven this week? And I don't think this is, I don't think this is without the realm of plausibility. The scene in heaven is the father turns to the son and they turn to Michael and to Gabriel and they say, his name is Azim and he's my servant. There's nothing we can come up against. The power of Christ isn't with us. The strength of Christ isn't with us. So then comes the most important question of all, and that is, so whose side are you on? There are people that will go through this life. They will see the testimony of Jesus. They will come very close. They will say, you know, maybe I should become a Christian. So, you know, maybe I should put my faith in Christ. But they see the hostility in the world or they realize that, well, but it might change my life. And they're afraid to make the decision to say, you know what? I will confess the name of Jesus. I will become a believer. Don't let that be you. Whether you're in the room this morning, or don't, be, don't let fear stop you from following Christ. Because there is nothing worth hanging on to in this world that compares to the glory of Jesus. Jesus gave his life. He died for us. He rose from the dead. And he says, you only have to do one thing. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And thou shalt be saved. Can we go to prayer now? Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll prepare to sing a final hymn, but it's important. This is our time. This is our opportunity to respond to the word of God that we've studied today. When you sit and listen to the to the scriptures and to the message, really there's two questions, and one is for the Christian, and that is, do you need to be encouraged this morning? Have you, have you felt like things are stacked up against you? Have you felt like, have you felt like the, that you've faced some hostility, you've faced some opposition? Be encouraged, be strengthened in the Lord. Just surrender that fear to Him today. Surrender those worries and that anxiety to Him, and just take a moment in quiet prayer to speak to the Lord, to let his grace fill you. But if you're watching on the video or you're in the room today, if there has never been a time in your life where you have said yes to Jesus, if there's never been a time where you have received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, don't wait. At the end of your life, you do not want to be found on the side of the enemies of Christ. You want to be among his children. You say, well, Ethan, I'm not a religious person. I don't, you don't have to be. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to do anything except in your heart, believe on Christ. So I invite you to do that right now. You can pray a simple prayer. There's no words that can save a soul, but if you pray a prayer from your heart, something like this, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your word, but I believe, Jesus, that you died and rose again for me.
And today, I put all of my faith in you and you alone. If you'll pray something like that, if you'll open your heart to the Lord, if you'll trust Him, the Bible says it's by believing in Christ that we can have eternal life. Do that this morning. Christians, let's just spend a couple of minutes as the piano plays softly in prayer. Let the Lord speak as only He can. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, for how powerfully it speaks to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray that that he would minister grace to our hearts this morning and this week as we go out. Pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.